BiblicalTraining.org provides a comprehensive biblical education from world-class professors to encourage spiritual growth in the church for free. In this podcast, we'll be sharing lectures and having conversations about biblical topics that matter to you today. If you find these episodes helpful, please give us a good rating on iTunes and share them with your friends and networks. Use of Latter Days in the Old Testament. And as we study this, I think we're going to get a good idea. We're going to, uh, and then as we look at the New Testament, when is Jesus coming? When is the temple going to rebuild? And when does the Antichrist come? In fact, I'm going to go further than what I've just said. I'm going to tell you who the Antichrist is. Okay. Now, outside my door, someone's made a joke of me. And uh, they have a bald-headed guy, and he's got 665. And uh, so I guess some people think I'm pretty close. Now, now Dr. Gordon, who used to be here, actually uh, styled me the man of lawlessness. And Dr. Stewart has now taken that up uh, since Dr. Gordon has uh, gone to another school. But uh, at any rate, I don't believe that I am the Antichrist. So it's not me, I don't think. All right. Now... I'd like you to begin, this is where we do the fingers, do the walking. We're gonna, now what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, references in the Old Testament that use latter days. We want to look first where it's used explicitly to begin to get an idea because the same phrase we'll find is used in the New Testament. And so we want to look at the Old Testament use of the term latter days. But we, let me say something very carefully here. Just because we're going to look at almost all the places where the phrase latter days occurs in the Old Testament, that's not everywhere uh, that there are eschatological predictions. I mean, the, the concept of eschatology occurs throughout the Old Testament. So we're just going to kind of scrape the cream off the eschatological cake, and then we're going to look at a few other places where the term doesn't occur, but clearly we've got eschatology in mind. So with that, let's begin at Genesis chapter 49. I'd like you to turn there with me. Point A, Genesis 49 and verse 1. This is a very highly textual oriented course. I mean, we're probably in this lecture, maybe we'll look at, who knows, maybe 15 or so references. Genesis 49, beginning at verse 1. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Now, who's got an NIV? My, my New American Standard says days to come. What's NIV say? Days. Okay, same thing. So it's just kind of nebulous. It's just days to come. However, do you have a footnote there? Okay, that's bad. You have a footnote for an alternate translation. The alternate translation, indeed the literal translation is in the end of the days, in the end of the days. In fact, for those of you who know Hebrew, it is Be'acharit Hayomim. And literally, uh, for those of you who don't know Hebrew, in the end of days or the end days, in the end days. And so Jacob... Uh, also called Israel, is giving a prophecy, and it's about the latter days. Now, the reason that they translated days to come is he, he prophesies some things here that occur in the Old Testament, and they don't seem like they refer to the latter days, therefore. But there are also some things here, his prophecies, 
of uh, what's going to happen to his 12 sons and hence the tribes that are clearly eschatological. And actually that brings me to another comment that Dr. Stewart loves to lecture on and that is we're going to see in this course eschatology doesn't just begin in the New Testament, it actually begins in the Old Testament. Okay, I'm just going to leave that. That sounds real outrageous, but we'll leave that and we'll try, I'll try to develop how that is. All right. Here, the phrase refers to the destiny of the various tribes of Israel, which is to unfold in the indefinite in time future. See, he's less dogmatic than I am. He doesn't know. And that's why they, they come up with this general rendering of uh, in the days to come. It's really the eschatological days. And, but we don't know, from Jacob's viewpoint, he doesn't know when that is going to culminate and, and come about. One of the focal points of this blessing or this prophecy by Jacob is in verse 9 when it comes to Judah. Look at verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, you've gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. Now, already we have a little peek. If we can, every, every once in a while, I'll just peek at the New Testament. Revelation 5.5 refers to Jesus as the lion from the tribe of Judah making a reference to this very passage. So very, very interesting there. But verse 10, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him will be the obedience of the peoples. It's very interesting that in the Jewish Targums, those are Aramaic, the Aramaic Bible of the first century and the second century, um, which is kind of like the living Bible at that time, kind of interpreted paraphrase, that one of the Aramaic translations said about Genesis 49 and verse 10, says, until his son comes. Another one said, until the Messiah comes. So this was understood as an end-time passage in Judaism, maybe even the Judaism of the first century. This is, a, this is kind of a goal-oriented passage in verse 10. To him will be the obedience of the peoples. In other words, there's, there's a time when he will come. Apparently, it's through a military victory. Look at verse 11. He ties his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine. And the idea is he's kind of been slashing about, you know, in a wine press. And, and, and it's an idea of blood all over the warrior who's defeated uh, the enemy. And that may be part of what is in mind in verse 10 there. To him will be the obedience of the peoples, of the Gentiles, of the nations. The Greek Old Testament has it. Very interesting. If you look at the last prophecy concerning Joseph, I want you to look at that, verse 22. Because here we begin to get reference not just to latter days, but to the idea of a lot of fruitfulness that's going to come about with Joseph. Look at chapter 49, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. And then beginning verse 25, from the God of your father who helps you, Joseph, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father, uh, have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph. I mean, this is an amazing blessing of prosperity and fruitfulness for Joseph, for Israel in general. And I think that these are probably references 
to the idea of a coming new creation. Because whenever you see prophecies of new creation in the prophets, especially in Isaiah, it's always prophecies of uh, the way to, to prophesy that is to say there's going to be amazing fruitfulness. No more famine in the land. Amazing fruitfulness. In fact, in, I, I have the Aramaic Targum that uh, basically really is comparable to today's Living Bible, which really has been revised by the New Living Translation. But I wanted to read for you the Targumic paraphrase of Genesis 49 and verse 1. Because it bears out this idea that he's, we're not just talking about creation here. I mean, latter days, but also the idea of new creation and even the reinstitution of Eden. And listen to the Targum in, in Genesis. This is what's called Targum Neophyte. There are a number of different kinds of Targums. This is Targum Neophyte 1. Verse 1 of Genesis 49, And Jacob called his sons and said to them, Gather together, and I will tell you the concealed mysteries. By the way, Paul talks a lot, New Testament talks a lot about mysteries. I'll tell you about the mysteries, the hidden ends, the giving of the rewards of the just, the punishment of the wicked, and what the happiness of Eden is. So what he's, what they, this is like a commentary then on this early Genesis text, and basically this writer is seeing that what uh, Jacob is prophesying about his sons is not just about things in the Old Testament, but the end of the world, when the new creation is going to come, when Eden will be on the earth again. So, very important text there. So, that, that is Genesis 49.1. It's the first time that the phrase, latter days, occurs in the Old Testament. Now, you can see, by the way, if you're reading an NIV you'd miss it. Now, if you don't know Greek and Hebrew, you must buy a New American Standard Bible. Okay? It may sound like a joke and that I'm working for their staff and getting commission or something like that. But you'll often get the literal translation in the margin, as I have here in the margin, the end of the days. The NIV is too paraphrastic and too interpretative if you're going to be a serious student of the English Bible. Now, for those of you who are not going to study Greek and Hebrew, my prayer is that you will. It's crucial. In this day, of a proliferation of English translations. What are you going to do when someone comes up after the Bible study, and uh, maybe you're not trained to be a pastor, but you're probably going to teach Bible studies, some of you on the 100 level, I don't know. Someone comes up and says, well, my English Bible says in the indefinite future in Genesis 49.1. Someone else says, my Bible just says the future. And another one says, my Bible says in the latter days. What are you going to say? Well, at least if you have a New American Bible, you can say, well, the literal translation is the end of the days, and the other is a paraphrase. However, New American Standard Bible sometimes doesn't do that. So put your hand to the plow. If you don't have the money, come to me, and I'll pray for money for you for the courses. If you don't, I, I really, I'm serious. I really, I believe this with all my heart. I believe, and I'm making outrageous statements today. <laughs> I believe there's never been one time in church history as today when people who were the leaders of God's people needed to know Greek and Hebrew. Now, Dr. Hugenberger, one thing he's known for as a pastor is he's a good counselor. And he tells me that one of the secrets to his counseling is his interpretation of the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. So I just set Dr. Hugenberger up there as one who uh, has found benefit there. And so I encourage you to do that. Now, if you're not going to do that, I don't want to put you on a guilt trip uh, or anything. I just think that if at all possible, 
put your hand to the plow and do that. But if not, at least get a new American Standard Bible. And then tell them I told you to do it because maybe they'll get me a free copy or something. Who knows? All right. Let's go on to the next text. The second place in the whole Bible where latter days occurs is in Numbers 24.14. Numbers 24.14. This is a prophecy by a pagan prophet. Now, this is the, you know, this is amazing. A pagan prophet. Balaam. Notice how he begins his prophecy in Numbers 24 and verse 14. Numbers 24 and verse 14. And now, behold, I'm going to my people. Come, and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. Now, this is the false prophet Balaam speaking to Balak, a pagan king. And uh, he's saying, I'm going to... I'm going to advise you what Israel, this people, will do to your people, Balak, in the days to come. Now, that's the, the, the last phrase of verse 14. Anybody have uh, an NIV here? Raise your hand for NIV. What does it say at the very end of verse 14? In days to come. Okay, that's what mine says, but I got a footnote. And guess what it says? No one needs to be a prophet to guess what it says, basically. It's that phrase right there. In the latter days. Now, let's see why this is the latter days. Notice what verse 17 says. It's from a pagan prophet. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Well, who, who, who is he beholding? A star will come forth from Jacob. A scepter will rise from Israel, will crush through the forehead of Moab, tear down all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also a possession, while Israel performs valiantly, and one from Jacob will have dominion. This prophecy, again, was understood by the Targums as referring to the King Messiah. And in fact, anybody know in the New Testament where the star image is related to a Messiah? In fact, the Messiah Jesus, anybody know? Matthew. Matthew. That's intriguing. You mean in the early chapters? That's, that's, I wasn't thinking of that. I like it. I think there's even closer where he's actually called a star. Revelation chapter 2 and also chapter 22 in allusion to this very text. Very interesting. And that this was a text not just about indefinite days to come, but a text about that, that really include, it included days to come, but it focused especially on the very end of history. And that that is the case is clear from verse 24. And I'm sure that this will clarify it all for you. Look at verse 24. Ships will come from the coast of Katim, and they will afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber. And so they'll come to destruction. Does that clear it all up for you? Well, no, I don't think it does. In fact, it's pretty nebulous, but you know what's intriguing about that verse? And the reason that I read it, it's alluded to in Daniel 11, when Daniel 11 is talking overtly about the end of history. So whatever it's talking about, Daniel sees something in it, and to really understand it fully, you've got to go to Daniel, which we'll do in a while, not this period later. But just to let you know, one of the most intriguing studies is the use of the old and the old. And in fact, really what it tells us is let's interpret Scripture by Scripture. Daniel expands upon what this enigmatic statement means in Daniel 11. It relates it to the very end of history. Very exciting. That's found actually in Daniel 11, 29 to 30. So both Genesis 49 and now Numbers 24, in fact, I could go further here 
Let's just, just, just read up a little with me, because I, I want to get you excited about how the Bible relates here and how it interprets itself. Look at verse 9, and tell me if you found this anywhere in recent times. Verse 9 of Numbers 24, he couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. Anybody heard that recently? Yeah. He's interpreting, Moses here is interpreting Genesis 49. By the, this text is a further interpretation then of Genesis 49. In fact, just latter days should have tipped us off to that. But now, together with that in verse 9, this is a further explanation, a further elaboration that we are talking about a victor, a messianic victor in Genesis 49, because some question that. And uh, yes, we are talking about a defeat of the enemy here in the end times. Now, third time it's used. Turn with me to Isaiah 2.2. So that was Numbers 24.14. Turn with me to Isaiah 2 and verse 2. Now, I suspect that our, the, the NIV is going to have the right translation here. I hope it will. Beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 2, the word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now will come about that in the last days... What does it have there? All right. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains will be raised above the hills. All the nations will string to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He'll judge between the nations. He'll render decisions for many peoples. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and they'll never again learn war. Now, what this would tell us is, in fact, though Genesis 49 and Numbers 24... It's talking about a defeat of the Gentile enemies. This text, which continues really to talk about the notion of no more war and implicitly a defeat of the enemy, it focuses rather on some Gentiles, and perhaps many, who submit voluntarily to this coming leader in God's kingdom in the end time. So it's kind of a new thought. Genesis 49 and Numbers 24, sort of the, the uh, defeat of the rebellious Gentiles. Now we get that in Isaiah 2, but we really also get this notion that the Gentiles will want to come and be obedient and subservient to God uh, in the end time. Ezekiel 38, fourth time that this is used. Ezekiel 38, verse 16. Ezekiel 38 and 39, the context is an enemy who oppresses Israel in the end time. And specifically, if you look at Ezekiel 38 and verse 16, we find, again, this explicit formal end time language. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It's talking about Gog and Magog. It will come about in the last days that I'll bring you against my land in order that the nations may know me when I'll be sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. So, Whoever this enemy is, Gog, Magog is the name of it here. Of course, Hal Lindsey said, if you draw a line due north from Jerusalem, it bisects Meshach, ancient Meshach, but Moscow. Um, so, you know, he identified this with Russia. Uh, well, we'll have to see as we go on. So this is definitely an end-time text. It's tribulation. What the text is about is tribulation and oppression of Israel in the latter days by some enigmatic uh, foe, an oppressor called Gog and Magog, and actually, as we see, Meshach in chapter 38 and verse 3. All right, let's keep going. We're going to build up, getting ready to go to the New Testament.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Biblical Training Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to see more, visit our website, biblicaltraining.org, to access over 130 free classes. You can also download our app in the App Store or Google Play. We are a nonprofit ministry and depend on donations. If you're able, please click the Donate button on our website and donate today. Thank you. In a moment.